Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. Before they started growing hemp, Sunset Lake Farms produced cream for Ben & Jerry's. Sunset Lake CBD doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides to grow any of its hemp plants, and they use organic fertilizer and other sustainable farming techniques to ensure the long-term health of the soil and to minimize their carbon footprint. So like all of us, my days are really stressful. By the end of the night, my kids are in bed, I'm taking a minute to chill, but I'm still unwinding. I recently started using the Relax Gummies infused with CBD isolate, reishi mushroom extract, and ashwagandha root extract. I'm really glad I tried these because they really helped me get ready for a good night of sleep, and I really think I sleep better, so I'd highly recommend it. So check out Sunset Lake CBD today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. That's sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. Hey listeners, I want to tell you about a new partner, Arostia, a new coffee roaster based in Queens. This company was created by and is run by a huge fish fan, Andy Hollander, who hasn't caught a hold your head up since 12, 15, 95, but is definitely not bitter about it. I've had this coffee and it's really great. Andy started roasting coffee during the pandemic, taught himself, and then that turned into this label, Arostia, which launched late last year. I had a bag of the Ethiopian coffee and it was gone really quickly because I liked it so much and I drank a lot of it and I need more. The beans were grown at an altitude of 2,100 meters above sea level, which contributes to a dense bean that continues to develop its flavors after the roasting process is done. The tasting notes include apple, raisin, and caramel, and there are more coffees coming very soon. So support this fan-owned business and try the coffee today. And for Osiris listeners, there's a 10% discount code on the site. Use the code OSIRIS at checkout for 10% off your order, and stay tuned for the launch of a coffee subscription. You can order and sign up for the mailing list at arostia.com. That's A-R-O-A-S-T-I-A.com. And you can find Arostia on Instagram and Facebook. Thanks, Arostia. Hey, listeners. I want to tell you about a sponsor, Music Masters Collective. They're a nonprofit organization that produces unique music events, providing opportunities for fans and artists to meet and collaborate in an inspired and creative atmosphere. Every week, they host different events, all with the opportunity to learn from world-class musicians like O'Teal Burbridge, Trouble No More, former members of the band, Milk Carton Kids, Nikki Glaspie, Bill Frizzell, Sean Colvin, and many more. This June, join the Fab Foe, Joan Osborne, John Sebastian, Marshall Crenshaw, and a great group of faculty for the debut of Magical Mystery Camp. This all-inclusive, once-in-a-lifetime music vacation experience in the heart of the Catskills will be packed with nightly performances, workshops, speakers, song circles, open mics, and a lot more. If you're a performing musician at any level, bring your instrument. If you're a music lover, bring your good spirit. It's an amazing experience for individuals, friends, and couples alike. Registration is open, spots are filling up, so check it out soon. And scholarships are available. Check out MagicalMysteryCamp.com slash HelpingFriendly to learn more.
This is the Helping Friendly Podcast. This is episode 114, and this is going to be our Baker's Dozen Recap. I'm Jonathan, and Matt is here with me. Hey, everyone. How are you doing, Matt? Excellent. I'm hoping Brad will be able to join us, and RJ is having a date with his wife, uh, and so we couldn't drag him away from that, and we wouldn't want to. Um, but we are here to talk about the Baker's Dozen. It's been a little over a week since the shows, and I think we're all still digesting. I know I am. Um, we, Of course, we did quick hits after most of the shows as they went on. So this episode is going to be a bit more of an overview. Um, We've got some guests and we've also got some clips to play everybody from the live podcast we did uh, at the fan art show on 729 at American Beauty. You'll hear we spoke to a handful of folks that uh, did all 13 shows and um, it's kind of cool to revisit just very high level without having to go into the detail on each night, just what the overall experience was like. Um, I think everybody, that from what I could tell, there was sort of this big afterglow going on after the Baker's Dozen um, that everybody was just really just kind of re-energized and recharged and feeling happy from the run. And um, so it's it's cool to, to have kind of captured a little bit of that. Um, but also it's nice that um, we can go back and also present something that some a lot of people have been asking for who were not able to make it to New York. And that's a look at the HF Pod live event uh, that we did at American Beauty, right? Yeah. And that was a lot of fun. Um, first of all, we should uh, thank Pete Fanart, Pete, for inviting us to allowing us to crash his party and put that on in a corner and thank everybody who came out and um, all of our guests. And um, unfortunately, the recording was uh, not what we would have liked. So we decided that we'd best not put the whole thing out. Um, But we have pulled some stuff. And... um, what do you think? Should we get into the the first bit? Well, yeah, just to expand on that a little bit, um, for those of you who were not there, um, basically where we were, if you've ever been to American Beauty in uh, New York, uh, there's an upstairs kind of small bar area that, that we were in, um, which was awesome. I, th- I thought that uh, we kind of did a nice job of making it feel pretty cozy with a bunch of couches and stuff like that. Um, but the fact of the matter was that there was a bar in the room, which means that it was a bar atmosphere uh, and a lot of uh, loud chatting and uh, enthusiastic, uh, you know. Um, I mean, people were having fun people at were a pre-fish concert and, event. And people were, were drinking and meeting up with friends, <laughs> and it was a really good rallying point. It was so awesome to uh, um, look around and see uh, so many friendly faces that that came out to see us. But um, that does mean that uh, all, at, at times, as you'll hear on the recording, um, we were not exactly the center of attention. Um, but that's okay, because I think that the, the main <laughs> thing that people probably came out to see was our conversation with Tom Marshall, um, who was uh, gracious enough to, to come out and join us. Um, Tom uh, kind of opened up about his own experience so far. This was after uh, five nights of Baker's Dozen. I'm sorry, six nights of Baker's Dozen. This, right. this was on, on day seven. Um, talked a little bit about that, but he, Tom also shared some great information about some of the new songs. Um, and so I think that that's why we really wanted to make sure that uh, everybody got a chance to hear this. So uh, what do you think, Jonathan? Should we, should we go to the recording? Yes. We're going to have a quick conversation with um, a guy who you may know. Um, His name is Tom Marshall. He has written songs for Fish. 
Thank you. Thanks, guys. Hey. Hey. Tom. Wait, wait a minute. Just let me say really yeah. quick, um, sort of in appreciation of you guys, uh, this weird thing that's been happening, my wife and I were noticing, that uh, I used to, you know, around a fish show, especially in New York, uh, anywhere three streets, three avenues away, start getting recognized, and people would say, hey, Tom, you wrote a great song or a great show, have a good show. Now it's all, Tom, I love your podcast. So I want to thank everyone who listens to Under the Scales. But a really important thing I have to say is behind the scenes, these guys help. There, there would be no Under the Scales if it weren't for HFPA. And uh, uh, I really want to thank these guys for the job they're doing. And thank you very much. Thank you, man. Thank Thanks, you. Tom. I remember, so a year ago, or a year and a half, I forget. More than a year ago, Tom and I met at The Man, and then we started talking, and I was like, hey, I have a fish podcast. And he was, and you were like, yeah, I know, I've heard of it, I've listened. Um, I'm thinking about starting a podcast. Do you think that would work? And I'm like, well, I mean, <laughs> yes, it would work. And like, you should absolutely do it. Um, and that was, that was the only conversation we had, and then he did it. Now, we talked a lot. That was the that. only obstacle. After that, it was just smooth yeah, sailing. Smooth sailing. <laughs> so well, thank you for that. Yeah. So we're going to talk a little bit about how Under the Scales is going, what's coming next, experiences, learning, etc. Um, I think we're going to kick it off by talking about the tour and songwriting and, and some of the songs that have been um, debuted that, that you and Trey wrote recently, but also this kind of line that's blurring between Tab and, and Fish, and you're, you're seeing more of this stuff kind of come up in the, in the shows. Um, what, start with either of those points, but we want to hear your take Sure. The tab is becoming kind of an incubator for songs that eventually show up at Fish. And I was thinking, like, back about that, that maybe uh, First Tube was the first one that that happened with. And possibly Sand, you know, just when it was a trio, Tony, Russ, and Trey. And then suddenly Fish was playing it. And then I was thinking there's, like, a new thing that's happening now. It's kind of a new era. It may have started with Pigtail. But ever since then, it's kind of like Trey... And, and me, if I'm lucky, write a song, uh, and it kind of goes to tab, and then if it's good, goes over to fish. <laughs> not, not that the other ones aren't, aren't necessarily good. No slight to the other songwriters or songs or anything there. Just, just um, sometimes there's like, I think it's like a democracy uh, these days, especially when there's an album involved in getting a fish song to become a fish song. Trey doesn't face that sort of vote thing when it comes to Tab. He just shows up at practice and says, all right, dudes, here's the songs we're going to play. And so if he has 10 new songs, because it used to be Trey would show up to Fish with 10 new songs and they would just play them. Now it's like, well, I have a song and, you know, I don't know, maybe Trey, you should only debut three songs or something. It's not that contentious, but, it, you know, Trey for whatever reason, likes to have a blank canvas, and Tab is his blank canvas, and that's how it's turning out to be. Well, I, th I think that's working pretty well. We've seen some good stuff come over. <laughs> I, it, it, I love it. I love it because it kind of, in a way, means more of my songs, you know, they don't have to run as tight a gauntlet anymore. They sort of can they become can... a song over here or over here. So um, there have been two songs this tour that are new? So Everything's right. And Threat. Well, Leaves, too, but leaves, that wasn't, yes. no, that wasn't played by Tab, though. You're right. Okay. Everything's right. And then two new songs, Threat and Leaves, so far. Right. So um, let's talk about those a little bit, could we? Um, I'm particularly a fan of Thread. 
Um, so uh, I, I tweeted this because someone figured it out, but I don't think it's been announced publicly, so I'll announce it that Thread is Steam Part 2. I don't know if you, like, the real heads might know that, but basically it continues the adventures or misadventures of the poor guy that melted into the snow in Steam. And, uh, you know, Thread finds him, like, there's a lot that might need to be explained. You probably can't glean just from the lyrics, but basically... It's a guy who fell in love with this woman up in the tower. She gets killed. He and she are spirits in steam, and it ends. And then Thread begins, and he's kind of languishing on a cliff while she went away on a mission of revenge. And we don't know how much time has passed, but he all of a sudden is awakened by a thread that she sends him for help. Well, I'm all about this new mythology you're building. So you got, do you have any more in this vein? Uh, on it's going to be completed. There's going to be a, it's a trilogy. It's going to be completed by Thread, well, Steam 3, which is going to be called Epitaph, as you guys might have guessed. Awesome. So let's talk about Everything's Right, because I, I know at the, um, was that at this acoustic show in Northampton when he said Tom and I just felt like this needed to be said or something along those lines? Trey said that when he first played it, or maybe it was with Tab. But I know you guys wrote that, what, in the spring? Um, and it, it's, it's, it, it clearly is communicating a response to the angst of the times in a lot of ways. But is that, was that the intention going in? Yeah, so we wrote that in uh, Spring Lake, Jersey Shore, uh, in March. And, uh, we got a lot right. of Jersey Shore fans in the house. Down the shore. So uh, that was also thread and leaves were written there. And everything's right becoming, from writing to becoming a song, a tab song in this case, that might have been the quickest turnaround ever for a song to actually immediately be debuted that I can think of. Um, but uh, now I forgot the question. <laughs> Where, did, you, did you write it about, in response to the angst of the times in... I don't know, thinking about where we are politically, culturally, environmentally, et cetera? It may have come out that way, but I didn't sit down and intend it to be that way. Actually, this was a song kind of at the end of our writing session. So um, I've described before, but for those of you who don't know, I usually arrive, Trey and I usually set aside three days and we go away and uh, he has people bring in instruments and recording equipment and then close us into the house for like three days and we try to write as many songs as we can. So I usually come prepared with lyrics, lyrics, and in this case I had 17. So we went through all of them and we were done and you know, Trey said, we still have time, so Trey said, just write one now and I said, what about, you know? Uh, just write one now. Yeah. <laughs> Should I just write, write one now? Is that what you're saying? Uh, <laughs> about this. <laughs> about and, then, this. and then Fish can play it tonight. <laughs> Uh, that'll be the quick, quickest turnaround ever. Um, uh, so, really, uh, he kind of just said, write it about, you know, waking up and what you think kind of thing. And so I did sort of put myself in the, in the mindset of a guy with, um, you know, thinking about the current climate, possibly politically, possibly just someone stuck in a rut, you know, losing his hair, looking in the mirror, like... You know, there must be something more than this. Try, try not to step on your best friend's feet. Try not yeah. to step on your best friend's feet. Tom, I wanted to ask um, just about your experience. You've been to more than one of these Baker's Dozen shows. Talk about your experience with like, the energy in the room, uh, everything else that everybody's been talking about. Do you, do you feel the same? 
Yeah, I really love, like you guys have already mentioned, the uh, jam-filled night. Um, when they kind of took a right turn, sample in a jar, when they made it through the chorus and everyone's waiting for, I wheeled around and they just left turned into a jam. I immediately understood jam filled. Like, oh, okay, they're gonna throw a jam into every single song. Who knew that there would be a 30 minute Lawn Boy right after that? That was, that was amazing. I don't think Lawn Boy has ever been that jammed out. Some people, some people said Lawn Boy became a lawn man that night. But I disagree, he's still a, he's still a boy. I think that kind of answers my next question. You've remained unspoiled. I know that you've said on your podcast you don't like to know too much so, you, so that you can't accidentally or can't give it away. Have you done that with this tour, this run? Well, well, yeah, I mean, there's nothing. I would never go and say, hey, Trey, what's the flavor of donut like for next Saturday or something like that. This one's different. Like, it, it, there's not really secrets apart from maybe the donut flavor. Staying out of the rehearsal room backstage and stuff. I'm though? staying out. I, although we did go, you know, we we went and saw. And and uh, one of the rules they usually observe about soundcheck is soundcheck songs aren't often played that night. We went to a soundcheck and they played every song that night, including Reba and the two coconut songs. And uh, so it was a great soundcheck. And then I quickly realized, oh, they're using this for rehearsal, and I don't want to know. So I haven't gone to any other soundchecks. Yeah, well, I know they uh, played soundcheck Kick Out the Jams the other night, but they did not play Kick Out the Jams, so... Well, they knew you were listening. I, I, was, I wasn't there. I just, I read about it on the internet. They'll throw in some shit if they know someone's listening. <laughs> I believe that. So, uh, I mentioned the podcast. You've mentioned the podcast, Under the Scales. Do you want to, um, you know, how's that, how's that been going? Obviously, you're getting, you know, a lot of people seem to be listening. People recognize you for that, which is pretty cool. Um, yeah, I really appreciate that. Um, Basically, I way overbooked myself. Everyone's in town, right? So I thought, oh, what a great opportunity to interview everyone that's in California that I've been wanting, you know, that's on my list. And it turned out, like, I'm 53 years old, and I actually need to sleep. <laughs> and I, I even also had a, um, a, an amphibian. That's my, my band from a long time ago. I even had a mini amphibian reunion where I had to prepare... Right. And I, I sang four songs for the first time since 2009 with them. So, like, on top of everything, I went to my first after show, like, in, you know, in 20 years, probably. And so it started weighing on me. I started canceling stuff, and I'm a lot calmer today. But basically, the rule and the takeaway is I'm focusing on fish and having a good time, and I'll just rather travel to California and interview them there than try to do everything at once. So don't pretty, mix business with pleasure. It's a pretty good reason My to go role. to California. Um, yeah. But uh, so what can we look forward to in the podcast coming up? Is there anything you can tell us about? Yeah, so one of the ones I, can I canceled was Jen Hartswick, which I'm sorry about. And yeah, I know she's so awesome and so friendly. She was her feathers were unruffled, and she promised me like almost immediately when we're in the next city that that's going to be uh, remedied. Um, I did have a great interview with the two pillars of pillars of the uh, poster. It doesn't like peas for some reason. I'll Poppy do peas. my peas as bees. Is that okay? Um, <laughs> um, the boaster community. <laughs> Um, and that would be Jim Bollock. <laughs> <laughs> and, that came out well. When you listen back to this. And Dave Welker. And uh, so I interviewed them in Dave's studio in Soho. 
surrounded by Dave's unbelievable art, Dave being the artist who did the Rift cover album. Uh, and he finally explained to me on the podcast, uh, live on the podcast, sort of live, live at the time, um, exactly what everything meant. I, did, I never knew, for example, where Fast Enough For You was represented in the art, but every song's in there, he claims. It, one, of the, one of the explanations was still shaky as far as I was concerned, <laughs> but the only one that he says is not in there is Horse Silent. But uh, I found every other one. I did. I wrote fast enough for you. I wrote a lot. I, wrote, I think I wrote nine of the songs on Rift. Can you get them to play tonight? <laughs> the entire album? <laughs> Cinnamon, Rift, no problem. So um, <clears throat> I know you have a lot planned for Under the Scales, and um, I think we should, if you're up for it, take a couple questions from the audience. Um, oh, good. Um, <laughs> Uh, one thing I just want to mention first is because people who are here are mostly, I think, fans of music and podcasts. Um, Tom and I have been brainstorming over the past several months. We've tweeted pictures of ourselves brainstorming um, about sort of podcasting and where music podcasting can and should go and um, kind of joining forces to, to think about how to keep keep awesome podcasts coming and new podcasts and that sort of thing. I don't know what you'd add about that. Sure, I could add, if you guys are contemplating doing a music podcast or have a music podcast and you haven't spoken yet to RJ or myself, please do because we sort of, uh, in the way that RJ helped me get off the ground, we'd like to get a bunch of music podcasts off the ground. We realize that there's uh, some kind of strength in numbers thing that we're, we're trying to harness a little bit here. Uh, music podcasts and small podcasts face very similar obstacles. We've gone through it, and and I think there's some power there, and we're trying to figure out how to how to utilize that, how to get everyone sort of empowered in that regard. So Tom and I are going to be continuing to think about that, and we'll tell you all about it as we as we put some really concrete thoughts together. Um, just by way of example, I'm so proud of Jonathan for launching his podcast, Broke Down Podcast. <laughs> Which is it's so good, and he's, he's so good at it because you give the context and the history, and um, I think you've taught us, me and Brad, and, and probably others, a lot about how to do a podcast right. Also, Dave, Go Dave Goldstein and Brian Brinkman, who you probably all know, started a podcast called Beyond the Pond. Um, if you haven't heard of that podcast or you haven't seen it, you should check it out. It's about taking specific pieces of fish improv and spinning them out and, and telling people about new music. I listen, every time I listen, I learn about 15 new bands I've never heard of, and these guys are like savants of, of indie music and, and other music. So anyway, those are two podcasts that we've sort of helped, you know, help people think through and, and that sort of thing. And um, Mike, uh, I don't think Mike's here, Lawn Memo, he just launched a podcast about the Buffalo uh, bass jam band Aqueous. And so we've, we've talked to him and helped him out. So we're kind of starting to help people launch these projects. So as Tom said, talk to us if you have an idea. The one thing that I think we've learned is the more niche, the better, you know? So if you have a very, very specific podcast idea, that's good. You don't have to do a podcast about the great outdoors. Or, or music. Like or music. music in general. Yeah. yeah. So... Um, yeah, can we take a couple questions? Are you cool with that? A couple questions. Let's do it. All right, let's take a couple questions for Tom from the audience. Brad, you, Brad, you make a great mic. Um, 
Tom, I love the podcast. Uh, it's, it's wonderful. Um, I meant to email you about this question uh, ahead of time, but maybe you're already thinking of it, and I apologize if this is something that's been discussed already, but uh, under the scales as episodes as it relates to Baker's Dozen, I was wondering if you thought about doing an episode or a couple episodes just with fans who are doing all 13 shows and discussing how it affected their mind, uh, their spirits, their wallets, all of that stuff, so. <laughs> Not bad. Um, no, just because of the reason I told you kind of before, like, I, I'd scheduled a lot, but I am doing something live with audience members at Dick's, because I'm going to my first Dick's ever, and... Uh, Apart, we, we do. <laughs> Some of us more than others. Um, <laughs> uh, and I'm leaving the schedule open apart from figuring out something cool to do with fans, and I'm not quite sure what that is, but the Dude of Life suggested that we just troll the lots and talk to people and put it out on tape with no editing and see what happens. <laughs> that, that's very risky. I look forward to it. Hi, my, uh, is this on? Yes. Say your name. My name's Ryan. I'm from uh, Washington, D.C. I'm up for these three shows this weekend. And uh, I've been following along the whole, you know, run so far on Live Fish and so, so forth. So it's like watching a TV show for a while and being really into it and then, like, getting to go see the show, you know. Uh, I've been really excited to, to come up this weekend. So, uh, Tom, my, my question for you is, um, and I'm a big fan of both your podcasts, um, uh, Tom, Thank you. as a as the lyricist for so much of the material on the band, how does it make you feel? You know, how does it make your ego kind of feel when 30, 40 minutes go by with none of your lyrics being sung, <laughs> and and it's it's people's favorite show of all time, all of a sudden. so angry you're right that's just absolutely just steaming by the time they finally sing my words again you're right i'm just absolutely pissed off <laughs> no um i am more a song lyric guy than a jam guy uh you know you're kind of actually exposing me as a you know a song guy versus a jam guy these are all jam guys if you want to know what they look like uh, <laughs> i'm a song guy which means tall with gray hair um <laughs> But um, uh, no, of course, I'm watching my best friend up there kicking ass, you know what I mean? So I'm Seth, also from D.C., how's it going? First of all, Tom, thanks for all the, all the music that you've given to us. Uh, you know, it's changed so many of our lives, so thank you for that. Um, you mentioned uh, the third part of the Steam trilogy, Epitaph. I just wanted to know kind of where that is in the songwriting process and maybe if that's something we should be on the lookout for over the next week or so. Well, uh, since you asked, and thank you for asking, um, as you might understand, there's sort of more going on in my head about, you know, than you can sort of glean from, from the lyrics. So I'm sort of envisioning something other than just the songs, but my first goal was to get Trey to come out and make them three fish songs. And he's 100% behind that now after 10 years of pushing, kind of. So, so I'm really happy about that. But yes, Epitaph will sort of conclude, I think, possibly, the trilogy, but uh, in a way that's going to require uh, a little bit more explanation. I'm going to build the story more, possibly, in a, in a 
a book or something. We're, we're working on it. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Thank you. That's a good question. Thanks, Tom. I should have asked that. So um, uh, I think we're going to let Tom take a break. Thank you very much, Tom. Uh, thank you, guys. Joining us. Thanks so much. Real pleasure. Jeez, Dad, not the car again. Oh, happens all the time with old Betsy. Have you checked out Carvana yet? They have thousands of cars for under $20,000. But do those thousands of cars have personality like old Betsy? Betsy's held together by tape. And there are raccoons living in the engine. It's a family car. Uh, there are flames on the hood. Ah, custom paint job. No, Dad, the car's on fire. How many cars did you say Carvana had? Visit Carvana.com to shop thousands of cars for under $20,000. We'll drive you happy at Carvana. What is a city without its music? The legacy of the New York Philharmonic is incredible. Nearly two centuries of history. That's a lot of music and a lot of stories. I was sitting on stage for the very first time thinking, I can't quite believe this is happening. Join me, Jamie Bernstein, as we explore the history of the New York Philharmonic. It's the NY Phil story made in New York, a podcast about a city, its people, and their orchestra. Listen wherever you get podcasts. Very cool. And again, thanks to Tom for joining us. And I hope you guys all, all Doug, listen to that. So we're going to get into the next portion here. As we mentioned, we had a few guests on. We had um, uh, Joseph Simon, uh, Zach from Cherry Hill, and Diana, who uh, you guys all know, Diana with two N's, has been on many times with us. And um, we they all attended, I think they all attended all 13 shows. And um, that's, and, that's uh, right, yeah. And so we, we asked each of them the same questions. And we're going to play bits of their answers and we're going to take on those questions ourselves. So the first question um, was, how did you learn from this? What did you learn from this experience of going to all 13 shows about yourself and about fish? And so we'll hear a little bit from them and uh, each of them. And then when we come back, we'll talk about it ourselves. This was beyond the music. You know, two and a half weeks of my life that I'll always remember. Uh, the, the human spirit, really, that, those, those two words, human spirit, they, they just pop out at me because the people that I've met, uh, you know, Jeff Friedman, he was my partner in crime the whole time. I've met, I've met people all around the world. Uh, their, their positivity, their kindness, uh, people sharing, you know, Oh, you, you look like you, you're thirsty. You need some water. Here, have 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 a water. Have some have some of my water. Uh, you know, I I don't smoke cigarettes, but I wanted a cigarette. Hey, do you have a cigarette? He, someone gave me five cigarettes. You know, that's <laughs> what, what, what I mean. Really, here, take five, take five. That's that's the spirit. It's like this solidarity, positive human spirit about these fish fans. So I definitely learned or was reminded again, I should say, maybe of, of the power of fish and and the spiritual side of the of the music. And I'm not exactly someone who's uh, religious by nature or anything, but just the, the spiritual side, there's something there. It's the, the scene, the people, the hype and the antics, uh, you know, the, the playfulness with the crowd and the interactions they have with the crowd doing themes, nights 
it really is unlike any other band. Uh, and there are so many elements of doing 13 that became so different from every other a let, you know, fish run for me, let alone any other concert run. It was, uh, I had the same seat. I, I requested the package. So I had the same seat actually every night. Um, and I basically became like friends with these, uh, seven to eight people who were there every single night uh, we became within two days, we're trading subs, getting friends and wives down there uh, and, you know, calling each other by first name, seeing each other outside and high-fiving. There's really like, there is something so unique and special about fish that brings people together. And there is this genuine love and something there that I, you know, I, I don't want to get too, uh, too emotional or, uh, you know, too, too frou-frou, but it, it really is something very special and pretty unique that I think seemingly only the Grateful Dead, and I know that from my parents who were two deadheads, uh, you know, seemingly something that only they were able to really create, I would say. They were working their asses off during this run, and it showed, you know, um, but still, despite, you know, all the hard work that it went into it, you could tell they were just having a blast and it was so much fun that yeah. there was so much laughter and smiles and silliness. That was one thing that I, I came away from it. Excellent. So you can hear there, you know, what I was talking about before about sort of the afterglow of the Baker's Dozen and um, everybody really taking a lot of positivity there uh, away from the entire experience, the the community, the connectedness, um, the the sharing. Um, one of the things that I thought was really cool uh, in a bunch of the conversations we've had, including some of the quick hits, um, was hearing people that had the same neighbors all 13 nights and how they really all got to know each other. And by the end, it was like they had, you know, established a little bit of a mini tribe mentality and whatnot in their section. Um, so that, that was, yeah, that I was thought, really awesome. Right. I thought that was great. I, I discovered that myself on the night seven after our thing in American beauty, I was, uh, I was just there for the one night until the final weekend, excuse me. And so I had a single seat that I'd picked up a little late and kind of was surrounded by people I didn't know. And they all, knew each other and not because they were in a massive group of 40, but because they had been seated together for six shows, now seven shows at that point. And I thought that was just amazing community building by the band or whoever handled the tickets or, you know, whatever. Some, somebody put a conscious thought into putting all these people together. And, and if they didn't, this, the net result is the same as that these people grew together and, uh, shared this experience. And, um, and what a hell of a thing it was. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing that uh, I, I liked, um, I was thinking about, you know, what Diana said about the band working so hard. I don't know if you saw Mike uh, Gordon's been doing a, a bunch of Q&A the last couple of days on Twitter. And he made a comment. He, he answered one of my questions. He did. Yes, I saw that. That was awesome. Um, and uh, so he made a comment about how something to the effect of, of, you know, what did you learn from the Baker's Dozen? And his comment was like, how much practicing for hours a day uh, can, how it can affect your playing, um, you know, presumably because they were learning so many new songs. But um, Diana kind of echoed that and talking about how apparent it was that the band was really, really working hard um, and, and, you know, how that work paid off uh, and, and, you know, the, the level of playing that they were, you know, ex experiencing all night or, or doing on each show, um, but also how 
connected they were. And you, you usually see that towards the end of a tour where, the, you know, they've spent the last month together um, and they're really just sort of in, in lockstep. Um, but they, they had that from the get go in the run. And then it just um, exponentially increased each night, really. Yeah, it really did. Uh, but it was amazing how like early they were there and it, it comes from that work, you know, in the practice room uh, or wherever the hell they were doing all that rehearsing. And of course, the rehearsing before tour, you know, um, I, I think it's maybe arguable that, you know, first night of Chicago might not be the best show, might be like the one of the weaker shows they did this summer. But really, they once they got their feet wet, they were full on uh, through the rest of, you know, the throughout almost all the shows. And, um, it, yeah, really the work, the work shows. And I think it, not just the work of the playing, but also the overall commitment to, um, the experience that they were bringing for everybody, um, with the, the donuts and the themes and the, just, it was, you know, the, the biggest festival, um, perhaps ever. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, seriously. So, yeah, it, it, we've mentioned this like a number of times on on the quick hits and whatnot. It really just felt like this summer's festival, and that it was a seventeen day event that a lot of different people got to come in and out to. Uh, it's. Um, I was trying to place the the feeling that I had after the shows that I saw, and I think the closest that I've come in recent history was um, after Magnum Ball. You know, just f- feeling like the community had really come together uh, and was was creating something wonderful. So right, and I've definitely had that before. And when we were walking out of MSG on the after the final show, you know, after on the road again and all that, and we were um, we were kind of overwhelmed with the emotion and um you know in the room and as we walked out of there and it did you know it also reminded me of you know that kind of post post festival uh glow because you know they just they just did something you know they just accomplished a a significant thing and it may not be significant to anyone else in the world outside of our community but um it doesn't matter because we all know it was it was big. Yep, yep. All right, so um, maybe we should pair up some music with this discussion. What do you think about yeah, that? Yeah, sure. Um, so I have a note here to play what I like to call Roger. Other people call Roger. I don't know. I think these the latter is correct, but it I'll is. still call it the former. We'll let it slide for you. So, all right, let's <laughs> let's listen to the uh, the the, the Roger Gay uh, from Baker's Dozen.
Uh, that was the Roguet from, hey, I said it right, uh, <laughs> from Madison Square Garden. And I don't know, you might have just heard my cat. And um, that was actually from 722, in case anybody is unsure. I know there's so much music here that it's really hard to know to some of these things, except for the couple obvious big, big ones. You know, it's, it's kind of hard to string them together. So that would have been the Strawberry Donut Night, ah. in case anybody's wondering. Okay. And I really like that. Yeah, yeah, it was good. So one of the things that you may have seen us doing um, over the the course of the tour was uh, asking you all for your submissions for haiku reviews of the shows. And one of the things that we did at our uh, HF Pod Live event was uh, Jonathan had um, accumulated uh, some of those and read some of them to the live audience. Um, and so, uh, just as we did uh, during that event, as a little bit of an interlude, we'd like to present to you a. Uh, some poetry readings. This is, we'll call this the HF pod slam poetry. Uh, oh God, no slam poetry is the worst <laughs> presented, uh, read eloquently by our own Jonathan. So let's, uh, let's hear what that sounded like. There it is. So I'm going to, uh, read you a few. We had some good ones. Uh, when we first announced it, the tour hadn't started and we did, uh, I, got, I got some from uh, Stephen Grip, who's at SJG042578, which I don't know what those numbers mean. It's not a dead show date, so it really doesn't, doesn't mean anything to me. Um, but they, they were predictive of shows, so I thought I'd include a couple of those. Uh, so the first one is, house lights vanish, then bright chasms of color, then sample in a jar. He was predicting something, I don't know. Uh, first set, Big Boat Tunes, A Lighthearted Reba Jam, Antelope Closer. Uh, so I, I got into it with him a little bit. Second set, Tweezer, the jam gets pretty crazy, then drops into Bug. I don't know how you all feel about that, but I would like that. It would be okay. And then, um, and then, and then I, I just, we jump ahead to two sets of Flown By, RJ Karate Chops Me, first tube encore. That's signature move okay so then we got into chicago and they started playing some shows and uh, i've got one from chicago one this is from at i had a dog joe at i had a dog he writes breezes from the north clouds parting everything's right leds no more so that's that's for all you uh lighting show fans and then um our friend matt burnham writes from chicago two there was a simple played in chicago last night put it on the chart that's a note for Scott, I think. Um, and then uh, at Fish Talmud says, hope is in the air. Anything can happen because we've got a band. I think that's a fish reference. I'm not sure. I don't, I don't know. Um, I'll give you a couple more and then we'll, we'll move on. Uh, from Chicago 3 at Fish Melts Faces writes, fish Karini heat, my bladder about to burst 20 beers later. I like that one too, yeah. Um, and then some guy named at M-D-P-H-U-N-K. I don't know if he's trying to say he's a hunk or he spells funk wrong. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> um, Karini, simple, heady jams, early in tour. The lump is fake news. I, I thought everybody saw the lump. Isn't that how it goes? And then um, the last one I'll give you uh, from Dayton, from at Thaddeus J. Struck. Watched Dayton webcast. During set two, my dad says, wow, a song with words. Thanks to everybody who sent those in. We have some more later on in the show.
All right, Jonathan, thanks for your excellent poetry readings at American Beauty. Uh, the, crowd, the crowd may not have completely appreciated it, but I know that I, I definitely did. It was, uh, it was cool. And, and thanks to everybody who sent them in. We got a lot of really cool submissions, and it was nice to see people uh, kind of putting their heads around that in response to our request. Yeah, there was, there was a lot of really good ones. There were a lot of really silly ones. Um, and there were, there were good silly ones that maybe didn't make the cut just because I couldn't read everything. Um, and so if you don't hear yours, we do have another segment to play, but if you don't hear yours, it's, it's not a negative review that I didn't read it. Um, cause I just couldn't read them all. Um, in fact, I had several pages worth of stuff up there, and I, I did not read all the ones that I had printed, much less all the ones that were submitted. It was a lot of fun to go through those, and um, uh, if people want to keep sending them, maybe we'll we'll bring them back another time. On to our second question uh, that we asked our uh, 13 club representatives that we talked to, and that was, what was the biggest surprise uh, over the course of the 13 nights, and was there any sort of peak moment for you? Um, so let's check out what our guests had to say in response to that. You know what really kicked my ass was uh, Starman. I, I think that on, uh, on that, that was out of nowhere. I mean, I know they're doing Bowie. I know they did Moon Age Daydream, which really kicked my ass. But Starman was out of left field. My heart exploded. I mean, it, it, you know, these people, everybody was on fire. Star, Starman is, is a very dear, dear song to me. And uh, my, it's like my brain, my heart, everything just melted. I was, Did uh, you, are, you're a Bowie fan then, I guess? I'm a huge Bowie fan, yeah. Nice, nice. How about your band? I know you, you've got a band. Um, yeah. You guys play Bowie or Fish or like, what's the deal with that? You know, we're, we're, we're very Fish influenced. I responded to an ad on Craigslist. And, you know, they were, like, looking for a bass player, very Fish-influenced. Uh, Mercury Matinee, we're right out of New York City. We're playing shows all the time. You know, we have the Facebook, Instagram, Mercury Matinee, and we're kicking ass. I think the biggest thing, at least, I guess I would say two things. The biggest thing song-wise, like, song selection-wise, would have been 1999. Um, out of all things and the bust-outs, that was what I least expected out of everything, like, Cinnamon Girl, if you, you know, thought about it, kind of made sense. Uh, certain other covers made sense. Strawberry Letter 23 made sense, which I also love that song. Uh, but 1999 was definitely the biggest surprise for me. I was up in the Sky Bridge for that, and people were losing their minds, I would say. It was pretty wild. Um, but And then other than that, what I was really surprised at is, is Trey's playing seems to be uh, lifted, I guess. It seems to be, there were moments, and so I, I will caveat for one second and say I'm a musician, I'm not a guitarist, but I'm a musician, so I can appreciate certain things in a different way, maybe a slightly nerdier way than other people appreciate them. And I, I have to say that his playing seems to be, there are moments where I like can close my eyes and I like question, am I, you know, Am I at night? Am I transported to 1997? And I'm not saying if the whole show sounds like that, I wouldn't say that. And it's not true to me. Um, but there are moments where I'm just like, oh my God, you know, I, I just floored. My jaw was on the floor and I, my face was off of my face. And I was really just like, 
I'm experiencing a level of seeing Trey play that I have never seen uh, in my one show of 2.0 and all of my 3.0. I don't think if you ask the majority of fans, anyone was upset to have missed a specific song because it was just as exciting to see what other songs they'd, they'd bust out and how those traditionally non-jammed songs would get treated, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I think that was one of my biggest uh, surprises as well, not just, you know, at the jam show where Lawn Boy of all songs got, <laughs> you know, treated to an epic jam treatment, but just, yeah. you know, how other songs that are traditionally not the biggest jam vehicle, like Breath and Burning, you know, most people whine about that Trey song, and I think yeah. after this uh, go-around, they'll give it, you know, a little bit more of a chance. They're not going to groan as much when it starts um so man it sucks when you have to listen to your favorite band play songs that they like you know it's tough it's a tough situation (laughs) okay so uh some great comments there from all three and um you know that's uh I'm not sure I've given enough thought to this question to answer it myself, Matt. Um, what, what what would be your answer? I, I I was thinking about it two ways. I think from a macro perspective, um, like we talked about before, just that it the whole event felt like uh, like one. And I'll admit, I was a naysayer coming into the whole um, summer. I didn't think that they would try to do no repeats. Um, I, 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 Nay. I, you know, I, I mean, I, and it's amazing that they did it. I'm, and I'm, I think that's why I'm so surprised. And it was very obvious, you know, even probably by the Dayton show that it was probably going to happen. Um, but uh, I, I really, you know, for the months leading up to that, I said, no, 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 no. They'll, they'll, they'll never try that. It's just going to be like a tour, but without instead of instead of being a bunch of different venues it's just going to be all in the same room and you know so we'll get like you know maybe three tweezers and one yam you know just kind of like you you typically would for a a three-week run um so that was a a surprise um you know looking at the whole run if i had to pick a moment or you know one thing that they did that really really surprised me um it was probably the everything in its right place um i'm you know a huge (laughs) huge radiohead fan and i never ever ever in a million years would have thought that they would have tried to play a radiohead song and if they had i mean you'd figure it would have been something from you know, the bends are in rainbows or something that's a little bit more like a rock and roll band, right? Or creep, right? You know, it's, maybe that's too <laughs> obvious and they'll leave obvious alone at times unless yeah. it's Cinnamon Girl, yeah. which is super obvious, but they had to do it. Yeah, yeah. But um, let me let me ask you yeah. a question. What do you think about okay. this just as, as a small diversion? I, I felt like in the beginning they were doing the obvious thing like right on the nose, strawberry, you know, strawberry fields, um, you know, powder finger, cinnamon girl. But then by the end, they started to get more obscure with the references. And I don't know if that was just because they had more time to dig into cool things to do, or if there was a little bit of misdirection going in there. What did you think about that? I just think that you can't predict fish. So even when you can predict fish and once you think you've got it down, you're, you're just going to be wrong. Um, so yeah, Cinnamon Girl was obvious. Strawberry Fields Forever was kind of obvious, but Strawberry Letter number 23, I mean, I know people who guessed that beforehand, yep. but I would say it is far from obvious. And, um, and you know, I, I just was so appalled by the guess, actually, when uh, a friend of mine, Charlie, uh, predicted it. I was like, that's crazy. You should just, just turn off your computer and go home. Just 
no, or he was home, but I was just almost offended by the craziness of his guests. And so, of course, he was right. <laughs> um, so, yeah. I don't, I, okay, so biggest surprise, possibly the no repeats, but I kind of believed they would. I kind of knew they would do it. I think probably it's more that... Um, the confirmation that if fish wants to go long, they can mm. at any given time. I've always, maybe not always, I've long suspected it and also often doubted it. But, you know, there it is. They can do it if yeah. they want to. It, when they want to. Um, Absolutely. And so as far as peak moment, I, I don't know. Uh, there are a lot. So... I, I love the um, I love the the, the drowned. Um, I love the jam that ter- become the Mister Completely Jam that becomes 1999. I loved the actually, and this might be it. Outside of maybe everything I was at, in attendance for uh, Mercury when it rolled back into you sexy thing when they started to jam out of Mercury I was like oh my god they're jamming out of Mercury and then back to you sexy thing that is just outstanding music yeah um I I but hell I loved Blaze On into 20 years later I think that was just uh, I could go on there's so many highlights um and I think that maybe that's it maybe it's because every show has something that I could say, ooh, ooh, that, ooh, that. And it's not like a little something. There are big somethings on every night. Yeah. And that's that's possibly without precedent. Certainly in a long time, they haven't been that consistent. Can, yeah, well, I mean, I wonder ever, right? I mean, is there any is there any other famous era when you can't find any off nights when i started seeing this band every night seemed better than the last so i would say in 94 that would probably be it i mean 94 95 because i was thinking even 97 you know in fall fall 97 you had you know the bryce jordan center show for example that was you know probably the dud of that whole run or um you know even but if you put that up against something from a just a few years ago, people would be like, "Oh, yeah, that's the shit." Well, so, yeah, yeah, it's all relative yeah, too. It, it is relative, but I mean, within the within the context of that tour, you could probably say, like, "Yeah, if you if you were going to miss one, that was probably the one to to miss." But I mean, like, I don't, you wouldn't have wanted to miss any of these nights. I mean, all of them were good. There's none that I can think of that I would be like, "Yeah, yeah it's probably okay if I if I didn't go to that one or didn't see that one." I haven't heard from anybody who did all 13 and regrets doing all 13. Yeah. Not a one. Yeah. So that, that should tell you something. Yep. I know one person who decided to not do one night to rest and he's regretting, he's regretting it. See, there you go. I mean, I, I understand why you might make that decision in the moment because fish shows, they can be 
demanding. <laughs> they wear you out. I'll tell you what, I was exhausted after this entire experience and I did four shows in the middle and I couched toward all of them. Um, and I had, I mean, I had to sleep a lot after the last show just from, you know, watching at home <laughs> and staying up and being so excited and talking to people about it and everything like that, let alone, you know, having... Well, you did on a couple Saturdays that you weren't in attendance, you like went out to a show and then came home and watched the fish show. I so did, that, yeah. that makes for late nights. Yeah, get, getting to bed at 4.30 in the morning and then your daughter waking you up at 7.30 is rough. So I, I, I was there, there I was there with those late night ragers. I was I was doing it. <laughs> <laughs> so all right, well let's um let's listen to uh, a musical selection uh, kind of lining up with uh, with some of the stuff that we just hope heard folks talking about. Um, what do you think? I mean, how about the, the Starman? Does that sound good? Starman's pretty rad. Excellent. Let's check out Starman. Thank you. 
Okay, and so that was Starman from 8-6, the 13th and final night, the pink glazed donuts with rainbow sprinkles, and um, a, just a killer Starman, which came out of Rise Come Together, which also, by the way, was really good, but I'll stop doing that, because um, <laughs> apparently I like them like it all, um, and uh, yeah, it's a, I trust that you enjoyed that, Matt. Yeah, I mean, Starman was, uh, I know we were both in Vegas last fall. Um, Starman was one of the highlights of the Ziggy set for me. I thought it was one of the songs that they oh, yeah. really did the the best justice to. Um, love the fact that Mike was singing it. I, th- I think his voice is really, of the four of them, is, is perfect for singing that song. And he does a great job singing it. So um, I was, I guess if, we, if you want to keep talking about surprises, um, you know, I wondered what if any songs from the Ziggy set they would bring back um you know maybe some of the songs are like a little bit too much of a hit single um to to throw into a fish set um so the fact that they played Starman again and you know maybe we'll keep seeing that and and especially Moon Age Daydream um that was because the the version that they played during the Baker's Dozen was just ripping um and and those songs sounded great without the background vocals and strings too I mean they, they really pulled it off with a small arrangement I agree on all counts. Um, I'm still hoping that next time I see them, they play five years for me. Yes. Again. Yes. Yes. <laughs> all right. So before we get to our last question, um, let's go to our second set of haikus. Um, so we'll transport back to uh, the third floor of American Beauty and listen to Jonathan uh, read a few more of those. The plural of haiku is haiku. Ah, you're right. You're right. I whiffed that. (laughs) I'm a monster. Sorry. (laughs) All right. Here are your haiku. We have a few more of the uh, fish haiku. And if if anybody else is uh, listening to this at home or anybody here, if you have more to submit to us, please do because the tour is going on and we can read some more on another episode. Um, this, uh, this first one I want to read is, is kind of special. This is uh, from a friend of the podcast, uh, Matt, who is at The Real Burnham. And this is, um, this is his Baker's Dozen pair of haiku that he sent. He, so he writes, I'm jealous of you with your donuts and big plans made for MSG. But I'm glad for me for Couch Tour and Editions of a Baby Girl. And Matt announced to us on Twitter yesterday that uh, Lillian Jeanette was born yesterday, their, their new baby girl. So I want to say congratulations to Matt Burnham and uh, best wishes to he and his family from all of us. So um, I got a couple more. This is uh, from at SD Shango. You might know him as Over Macho Grande on Twitter. Just got a ticket for the fourth and fifth night. Commence midweek rage. We can all relate to that, probably. Then, uh, good friend at Synth Funk. Crew was crunk as fuck. My friends are dancing machines. Whoops, laying in the streets. And that, I don't know if Art's here, but he's amazing and he is so special. That's all. And Art, if you are here, make sure you come up and say hi to me because I have never met you in person. Uh, anyways, I think he just sent that because he wanted me to say crunk out loud. Uh, at Fish Melts Faces sent this one in. Uh, a jam night prom- A jam night promised. Type 2 sample opener. Where the hell is Steve? 
that's uh, he, he also adds that's ded dedicated to all the Steves in the struggle. But yeah, I don't know. Uh, Saxon strikeouts. Seth writes. Where is he? Hey, oh, there he is. All right, take a bow. Um, this this is still Lawn Boy. Skybridge felt like a spaceship. Cross-eyed, next level. I get that one. And uh, I got a couple more real quick. Uh, the Wolf at Wolfenhouse writes, Black Oleander, a 30-minute lawn boy that Paige likes to croon. And then we go back to at Fish Melts Faces. He sent this in uh, this morning. So this is the most recent, hot off the presses. Double chocolate. A chocolate torture, you sexy thing, you. And this is my last one. This is the last one. This is from Josh P. At JMP0375. Three days of fish bliss. It was just so damn much fun. Now back to real life. I'm so, hey, it happens to all of us. And it will happen again to you. Watch out. All right. Thank you very much once again, Jonathan, for compiling those, doing such an excellent uh, reading. I feel like we should have had like somebody playing the the bongos or something like that, just to kind of add a little bit of you know beaten it color or something like that to the poetry reading. Full disclosure: I have read poetry in front of people before. Ah, okay, okay. There you go, old pro. Sorry. <laughs> All right. So for our third question, we wanted to know from our uh, our attendees, um, where does fish go from here? And I thought this was a good question to ask. Um, for me personally, I, I I came away from the entire experience thinking that, you know what I mean? Like they've accomplished this. What this is definitely a new peak in the band's history. Do they? Does the tide kind of roll back a little bit? Um, are, are there shades of Big Cypress where they accomplish something so massive that then they struggle a little bit afterwards to feel like they can um, accomplish something like that? Or is this just a new jumping-off point? So let's see what the folks that we talked to had to say about that. They just, they don't have to prove anything. They got their banner. They are permanently cemented in history. And how cool is it that they're like, you know, you fifth year past middle age, I guess. They're almost old. <laughs> 50, what, 52? Yeah, uh, yeah. But it's like they're the most comfortable they've been. And, and um, man, it just makes me really happy for them and happy for all of us because we get to experience it, so... Um, I'm, saying, I, I'm not afraid to say it, but I was in tears for some of those shows, just straight tears. We all in that building felt the emotion of them that last night. And when Trey and Paige got a little, uh, a little choked up there, I think we all kind of really collectively felt what was happening there. Um, I think that they can only go up from here. I think it's really an emotional high. It has to be to have so many people I mean, it, two weeks, you know, uh, when, it, when the run started, it wasn't sold out. And a few days before that last weekend, tickets are on Subhub for uh, an insane amount. Obviously, you know, that's a different conversation, but it, it just became crazy. It's got to be flattering that the whole city in New York, the, the biggest city in the country, people were losing their minds over fish and the donuts and the themed nights and Boston cream. It really was 
the whole thing was a spectacle and from start to finish. And I think it was really handled very, very well. Um, and I think that they continue what they've been doing, maybe with a few changes here or there. You know, there's they introduced the the Mexico runs. They they did this. I don't think this is going to be a thing. I don't think residencies are going to be a thing. I think they continue doing what they've been doing, maybe not as extreme, which we've already seen happen anyway. They're not doing massive tours. They're doing 20 to 30, you know, max 30 show tours, we'll say. Mike has gone on record saying that Dix is like his favorite place to play. Um, so I really, I have hopes that, you know, Dix is really going to be a massive, awesome blowout party. Um, and they bring some of these crazy, silly songs like Strawberry Letter 23 to, mm -hmm. back to, uh, you know, kind of give the folks who didn't get a chance to make it out to New York City uh, a chance to um, experience these awesome moments from the run. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't really know. And another thing I don't know is like why, what the on the road again encore symbolizes or means, you know, I <laughs> joking yeah. too, yeah. after that, that finished, I was, you know, yelling in my section, fall tours back on bitches. <laughs> but <laughs> since I haven't heard any announcements from, uh, <laughs> good, very optimistic view. Bitch. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, I just, you know, hearing rumors about New Year's Eve at MSG and there's no fall tour. What does on the road again mean? Yeah. I think and it's I just guess, the dicks, it, right? It meant something. Yeah, I guess. I guess that can be. Or just like we're like they seemed sad and proud to be wrapping it up, you know? Yeah, I, that, I, you know, seeing the, and hearing them, you know, their voices crack and and be crying. It's like just broke me. Yeah. <laughs> like this is such a special moment for them, and it's not being you know wasted on them e either. You know, they yeah. aren't rock stars who like think this is normal they are very you know feel very grateful and lucky and you know don't take any of this for granted and that's so awesome yeah. to see that you know they're yeah. they're humans too <laughs> some very good thoughts and we'd like to thank uh joseph zach and diana for joining us and sharing those with us yes and we have to give a shout out to our other guests on the live show uh who were, were with us at american beauty that day uh jeff carroll scott mark stephen Olner, steve vickner jackson richards and uh one more thank you to tom marshall for coming out and joining us matt before you went to that you you kind of framed the question well and one of your um one of the things you said was you referenced big cypress and i i actually thought about that very thing myself uh in the past week or so and i think that you know there it, it would be possible for them to fall into that same you know how can we go up from here we maybe we should call it uh after big cypress except that they are a they're they're older they're more mature people they they know what happens when you reach that point and you decide well that's that's it they know what happens and i don't think they are in love with that i think that at this point they'll just move on to the next thing and i think that the assertion you know diana makes is that you know dix is going to be a massive party uh yeah, I think that's probably bang on. Um, I think that it's kind of like 
you know, the Halloween runs where they play an 11 one show and the 11 one show is the big throwdown. You know, they've, they've done the thing and now the pressure's off and they can just get down. And, uh, and of course we're always game to do that with them. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And, and D- Diana made a comment also about, um, you know, what does them playing on the road again mean? I mean, I, I really took that as a way of kind of calming down people who were concerned, like, well, maybe they're not going to tour anymore. Maybe it's just going to be MSG shows or they're going to, you know, hunker down in one venue for a long time. Because the fact of the matter is, I mean, we had a lot of good times seeing them. I I will wind up seeing less fish shows this year uh, than any year since 2.0. Um, I mean, even if the, you know, the rumored new, the new year, the rumored new year's shows happen and I can make it to a couple of those, it's still going to put me at maybe six or seven shows this year. Um, and then there's a lot of people I know who didn't get to see the band at all, uh, because they weren't going around and, you know, maybe they're people that, you know, they, they're good to just kind of catch their local show each summer and not really travel. And so a lot of people were kind of cut out from that. Um, but I, I took the playing of on the road again to mean, you know, um, okay, we did this and now let's, let's Let's go back out there and let's come to your town and help help you party down and um, get get back to business as usual. <laughs> I don't know. Did you, did you agree with that? Well, yeah. You know, interestingly though, I know a number of, I know a few people, I should say, who heard that song and thought the exact opposite. They saw the band was emotional on stage, and you know, I couldn't see it from my seat, but they could see it on the webcast. Um, and uh, and I, I think they just misread the situation. You know, I think they were emotional from the banner raising and that sensation of accomplishment. Um, and that song has some really poignant words, you know, uh, going down the road, playing music, you know, I, I'm going to, I can't quote it accurately. You know, we're the best of friends and playing music is all we want to do or something I'm paraphrasing badly, but you know, the point is that they, they love each other. They love doing what they do together and they were celebrating it with that song and yes they're going to come back on go on the road and they're going to play more shows because i mean again as i said they've they know what happens if you you decide to quit at at a um, apparent peak um so i i think that we'll, we'll be seeing more of them and i'm really excited and i think they were just happy and uh just celebrating that love that they have for one another and for us because we are all amongst part of that band of gypsies traveling down the road. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, man, I mean, I feel like we've been talking about these shows for the past month, which we basically have been. Uh, it's kind of been an Pretty much. all-consuming thing in, you know, fishdom and in life and everything like that. It feels a little bittersweet, just like that encore to, to let it go. But um, I'm sure we'll probably come back to these shows repeatedly in, in terms of listening and discussing and analyzing. In fact, um, we might kind of revisit it relatively soon, right? Yeah, I think um, we'll probably definitely be taking on uh, one of those shows in uh, a uh, HF Pod Plus episode on our uh, Patreon site. Yeah, thing. yeah, and um, just a little teaser for that. It's uh, we've talked about a set that we want to play, and it's actually one of the sets that might be a maybe slightly controversial because I think there's mixed opinions about um, people thinking that it was either the best or worst second set. It's a very that. songy first set. Don't trick people by telling them it's a second <laughs> set. There's no jams. It's 
So y'all go figure that out. <laughs> yeah. But so, so we've got one that I think is, is worth discussing. We'll, we'll, hit, we'll do that on the, uh, the HF pod plus, um, coming up over the next couple of weeks, as Jonathan mentioned. Um, and we've got some other very, very nice treats in terms of where does HF pod go from here? There's some really super exciting things that are going to be happening over the course of the next month. So stay tuned for those. Yeah. For example, Brad will join us. And RJ will be back. <laughs> I don't. We'll, I don't. I don't really have any other good we'll, teasers we'll for everybody. Them, yeah, we'll let them out of the uh, the basement where we have them trapped, and maybe let them rejoin the show again. <laughs> no, of um, course, of course, love to RJ and Brad who are off. Uh, you know, familying, familying, up, so and, and happy tenth anniversary to RJ and his lovely wife uh, who are out celebrating that and. Uh, Hopefully we'll uh, have the gang all together pretty soon. I doubt it. I doubt it. Yeah, we're all very busy men. Yeah, absolutely. All right, maybe um, maybe there's should we uh, should we go all out on that on the road again? I think it feels like a, a good way to, to wrap things up. Yeah, let's do it. But um, before we do that, let me just uh, remind everybody, because you probably don't know this at all, right? Um, you can find us on Twitter at HFPod. You can find us on the interwebs at HFPod.com. You can email you can email us at thehelpingfriendlypodcast at gmail.com. I think that's right. And if it's not, too bad. You can find us on Facebook if you Facebook still. and um, Or you want to tell your grandmother how to find us. That's totally cool. And and um, <laughs> we'll be back soon with more uh, cool stuff. So, yeah, let's go ahead and play the thing. Awesome. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Jonathan. See you all soon. All right.
Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is the story of Whitney Houston. This is the story of Kurt Cobain. Of George Michael, of Otis Redding, of Amy Winehouse, of Michael Hutchins, Bob Marley. This is the story of Prince. It's a new podcast series. About how they died, why they died, and why we're still talking about them so long after. It's like nothing you've ever heard before. It's storytelling. But it's more than that, because rock stars... They tell us how we feel. They change our mood. They change the clothes we wear, the people we hang out with. The way we remember things. It's them who give us those ludicrous moments, the ones where you're... Jumping around, singing your heart out, feeling understood. And it's those moments we'll help you remember, the ones you're thinking about right now. That feeling. That feeling. It's coming soon from Crowd Network. Just search for Death of a Rockstar on your podcast app. And subscribe now.